It's Tuesday the 15th of December. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert. You can see a Sky News weekend edition on Saturdays and Sundays. Shane Lee, how are you, my friend? Timmy, I'm shipping today, mate. Looking forward to chatting a lot about, well, there's lots happening in the Big Bash once again. Um, got Eddie McGuire announcing his retirement and all things happening in the world of netball as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a dramatic story, the netball story. We're going to talk to Rob Gilbert about EPL. We'll also talk to Rob about Collingwood in the draft because he loves that club and they had a really good draft. And Ewan Porter, professional golfer, commentates now in the US on majors. Will Tiger Woods ever win again? We're going to ask him that and also whether Sam Groth will make it in the world of golf. It's all on the way. Daniel Sams, I tell you what, he's really grown as a cricketer. Let's start with him. Seven sixes, Shana, and it was clean hitting. But boy, oh boy, you don't bowl full tosses at the end, do you? No, you don't. It was a pretty ordinary bowling there at the end. But um, yeah, the Thunder getting up, uh, six for 180, defeating the Heat, 176 for six. Yeah, some really clean hitting. Sams, he's a really good all-rounder. He swings the new ball. I was interested to see that they didn't actually open with Sams. They opened with two spinners, which I thought was a bit of a mistake. But uh, as it turned out, the Thunder got home quite comfortably in the end. Your former teammate, Ricky Ponting, uh, he he really did have a rip. He said, this bowling is pathetic from Brisbane. And look, having covered all of Ricky's career as a journalist, I, I haven't really seen him go off like that uh, what, what, what is he like? No, Ricky's a really, really good guy, but uh, the guy as a captain and a player in, in one-day cricket in a shorter version of the games was outstanding. Um, he has a really good understanding of it, but he's dead right, you know. Your, your job, particularly as a bowler to bowl at the end, you've got to hit your areas, um, and bowling sort of hip-high full tosses is just... It is pathetic, um, and they're getting paid a lot of money, these guys, so they should be able to execute a little bit better than that. And when it's right there, it's like some people say, like a bean ball, obviously, is very difficult to hit. But if you're bowling a full toss that is, is on your leg at that height with a guy with his eye in, well, it's just money for jam, isn't it? It is, mate. And what the batsmen do now, they get right back in their crease. So they give themselves a lot more um, time to see the ball um, and space and ability to free their arms. And, yeah, it's it's real fodder then for the, for the batsmen to uh, – what you're looking to do is get under the ball and you don't need to really try too hard if it's a full toss. Yeah, he almost sent them to Goulburn. What do you think of Daniel Sam? He's, he's quite a, he's quite an all-rounder now, isn't he? Particularly in the modified versions. Yeah, he's, he's a really, really good cricketer. And as I said, um, left armour, um, he probably bowls around yeah, the high 120s. So he's not overly quick, but does swing the ball. But yeah, you, you add that clean hitting into his game, it, it takes um, his position with any team, um, uh, uh, his, his value is a lot greater. Yeah, well, I mentioned Ricky before, and you were both young guys when you were playing in that one-day team for Australia. What about teammates? Like, you got on well with him, uh, but they don't always get on, do we? Ben Cutting and Chris Lynn last night, it got very, very icy. There was a bit of an exchange between the two of them, and then Cutting, of course, now at the Thunder, their former teammates, and Cutting, uh, when asked the question, I think it might have been from uh, Lisa Stalaker, uh, he said, oh, well, that's the first time he's spoken to me in eight months. I'm still waiting for his phone call. Yeah, some real bad blood there. Um, it's not good to see. You know, obviously, as you said, Timmy, you don't get on with everyone. It's, it's like working in any corporate job, mate. You, there's some people that you get on with um, away from work, and that's the same with cricket. But, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what's happening. I'm, I might dig a little bit deeper and see if we could find out for, for next week. 
Yeah, do that. Yeah, have a bit of a, a sneak look because I've interacted with both. They both seem decent guys. And, and just finally, uh, before we rip into the rest of the program, Eddie Maguire ends his era at Collingwood next year. He was pretty teary last night at a, a fan forum. And whether Look, he's polarising, isn't he, Eddie, particularly outside of Melbourne. People either like him or they don't like him, but you'd find it pretty hard to be critical of him with the work and passion and effort he's put into that football club. Oh, no doubt about that. Um, he, he's been a, a great asset for the Collingwood Football Club. People um, either love him or hate him, and that sort of works for Col- the Collingwood brand, I think. Uh, everyone's team they want to lose is, uh, is Collingwood when they're playing him. Um, but look, Eddie's been there for a long time, and I think any organisation needs a change of chairman after you know, so many years. So it's um, you know, he's done a really, really fantastic job, not only for Collingwood, but for, but for the game, AFL. Um, I know here in Sydney that they, 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 hate, they hate Eddie Maguire, but um, look, I think he's done a great job and I wish him all the best. Um, yeah, big shoes to fill by whoever comes into, the, into that role. Yeah, it's a fine line, isn't it, uh, with leadership, isn't it? Because at some point, you definitely do need new sets of eyes. You do, mate, and um, need to freshen it up. Um, but he definitely attracts the advertising dollar, um, the sponsorships, um, and and drives a hard bargain, um, and and demands excellence too. So yeah, once again, big shoes to fill. But I think Collingwood are better off that they've had Eddie McGuire involved in the club for the past you know, decade. We see some of the the high profile sports and salary cap stories, and they've been fined this, they've been fined that. I find it, I found it pretty hard to digest that the West Coast Fever, one of the netball teams, find three hundred thousand big ones for a salary cap breach. Mate, that's a lot of money. You tend to think in a game that doesn't get a lot of television coverage, um, and yeah, the sponsorship dollars are there, but they're not through the roof like they are in say motorsport. Um, three hundred thousand dollars could go a long way to put a club out the back door. Um, yeah, really interesting this, but uh, I suppose the rules are there to be adhered to, and and breaching salary cap is um is, is a big issue. So, yep, the netball uh, organisation from the top have really put their foot down here. This is afternoon sport coming up next. Let's have a look at the EPL. Isn't there some drama over there? <laughs> Let's get talking about the English Premier League, uh, Shano, because there's been so much happening and a guy I know that does not miss a thing when it comes to EPL is Rob Gilbert. How are you, Rob? Good to talk to you, Timmy. Good to talk to you, Shane. Okay, Rob, uh, can you tell us about Arsenal? That's a big story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Since COVID, the EPL has been thrown up in the air like every sport in the world, but since the game has come back, there have been any number of stories, as there always are. The top end of the table is is cluttered. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the genuine disaster of the post-COVID era is Arsenal. Um, their worst nightmare came true on Monday morning our time when they were beaten by Burnley, who were fighting against relegation for the first time ever at home. The loss meant that they've lost four straight league games at home for the first time in 61 years. Wow. They've gone 12 and a half hours in the top flight without scoring from open play. And the four wins and a draw after 12 games to start the season is their worst start 
since 1974, 75. I mean, the, the fans that were baying for us in Wenger's blood um, just a few years ago, uh, they had Unai Emery last a short time, Mikel Arteta, uh, many thought that he was the next golden child, mm. Pep Guardiola of Manchester City, you know, everyone mm. uh, who follows the world game knows um, his pedigree. They thought that Arteta was the next Guardiola, but uh, it's just turned out to be a nightmare. And and, and to put a, a cherry on the uh, pretty ordinary cake, the goal that was scored for Burnley was an own goal by their number one striker, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So it just couldn't get any worse. No, yeah, amazing. And, and looking at um, looking at the competition, it, it's turned on its head a bit, hasn't it, Rob? Because uh, like both Manchester sides are struggling. Yeah, so it's struggling in relative terms to, to what they are. So it's all about context. And, um, and Manchester City were, were one of the favourites going into the season. So when you're a favourite going into the season and you're sitting ninth on the ladder, uh, Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who you know, is a favourite son of that club, uh, that they are, it sounds a bit weird from uh, um, mm. their, as you say, lofty standards, but they um, are, are winning from behind and uh, uh, they had a, a very ordinary loss in the Champions League um, and uh, and missed out on going to the knockout stage. So that they are, um, yeah, the two Manchester sides ordinary, but the two teams at the top of the ladder are um, both on 25 points, Spurs and, and Liverpool, but they both uh, drew against teams that were well and truly expected to be, um, well, in the case of Liverpool, Fulham cannon fodder, who are definitely relegation bound, and, and Crystal Palace, who had a, a good start to the season but have dropped off. So so the draws that both those teams had have left them on 25 points. And then Leicester City comes uh, in after their games, receives the results, beats Brighton, Matty Ryan, our own Matty Ryan's Brighton Hove Albion, and wins. So, so Leicester City, the 5,000 to one shots of the 2015-16 season, just keep doing great things and they're sitting third on the ladder. But then, you know, there's Southampton, West Ham, Everton. So, you know, for even the, the casual observer of the Premier League guys, uh, it's, it's a really good season. Rob, talking a little bit more locally now, the A-League with the W-League are just around the corner and the A-League have another new team, MacArthur, is that right? That's right. Both kick off on the 27th of December. MacArthur, uh, for those of our listeners outside of New South Wales, uh, in the, uh, the deep southern suburbs around Campbelltown of, of Sydney, uh, they'll be coached by Ante Milicic, uh, formerly of the Matildas. So he had to make a choice when the Olympics were postponed to next year. Would he stick with the Matildas and take them to the Olympics and hopefully for him uh, stay on for the World Cup or uh, get into uh, the A-League and reset his career? He, he's taken the choice of, of coaching MacArthur a big, big decision. They open the competition on Sunday, the 27th of December, as I say. It's an evening match against the Western Sydney Wanderers, so a derby of sorts. So, look, the A-League is... um is really going to have a uh, season which I would probably go as far as to say is a defining season for the game in this country. Uh, Foxtel post-COVID slashed their rights fees by about 50%. Every club has, uh, has got about a million dollars less in their salary cap. A lot of players, there's been a massive exodus. Um, it's a competitions all over the world, not the least of which the Indian Super League, which is beginning to emerge. So there are a lot of threats. But just when you think the light coming in the other direction of the tunnel is a freight train, Along bobs some options, and and one of those options sounds like uh, Nine's new sports platform, Stan Sport. So since they've signed rugby union as a sport, they need to get more content. So I think this uh, starts to to give options to James Johnson, the FFA of uh, of the A League, and uh, and opens up opportunities for him to negotiate 
at uh, so he's got uh, the current uh, host broadcaster Foxtel, and then you look at Stan, and then there's also obviously Optus, whether they want to take on more uh, football domestically. So so it's a big big season for the A League, um, and they really need to put on entertaining football on the pitch. Now, huge news with Collingwood. Eddie Maguire has decided to step down as chairman at the end of 2021. He was pretty teary at the fan forum, as you would imagine. But uh, look, that that's happening next year. So he'll be leaving at the end of next year. And look, he's done some remarkable work, whether you like him or whether you don't. But he's done, done some remarkable work. But the question I want to ask you, Rob, is about the draft. Because you're a Collingwood fan and the trade was so poor, but the draft was so good. Well, Tim, not to uh, lay it on too thick, I definitely do uh, barrack for the Magpies. I don't mind saying that. Um, I married into a Collingwood family and, as you know, moved down from Sydney and decided uh, back uh, in the, the mid-90s not to have a, a mixed marriage. So rather than uh, follow <laughs> Sydney, I, uh, I followed the Pies and uh, it's, been a, it's been a good ride ever since. But uh, as you said, they the, had a shocking trade period a, a couple of weeks ago when uh, Adam Trelaw and Jaden Stevenson in particular were let go from the club traded uh, were um, Trelaw in particular on uh, on a multi-million dollar contract uh, it was just the messy nature it wasn't the fact that they needed to find salary cap relief it was the fact that they communicated it so poorly not only to the two players themselves who went a little rogue and started talking to media you know making it clear that they didn't feel like they'd been communicated with and the fans um, they, they were absolutely filthy but the one thing that the club continued to say was the story isn't over yet. You need to watch the draft period play out. And of all of the clubs that were involved in the draft, Collingwood, um, without question, uh, did the best. They managed to negotiate their way not only to uh, to get their number one priority, uh, young uh, Reef McInnes, formerly of the Oakley Chargers, uh, uh, Scotch College boy, 193-centimetre midfielder, um, at pick 23. But they managed to do it by juggling the draft to the extent that they picked up two draft picks at 17 and 19 earlier, Oliver Henry of the Geelong Falcons, uh, a medium-sized forward, and uh, Finley McRae, uh, again, of the Oakland Chargers, Xavier College boy, uh, medium-sized sort of midfielder that they're critical to start replacing some of those players that they lost. And then uh, and then they picked up three other players in the, in the top 50. So so of the, um, the clubs that entered the draft, Collingwood, Definitely came out of it best, and uh, and not only did they pick up the uh, the draft picks that I mentioned, but they also managed to accumulate enough draft points so that in next year's draft they'll be able to get one of their academy recruits, of which Reese McInnes was, or next generation academy players. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that on another occasion how, how that system works, so that they've got um, enough points to get Dacos next year. So his older brother Josh uh, really had a breakout season this past year, and uh, and they say Nick's a better player than him. So uh, so Collingwood could turn it all around if if the payoff from this draft um, comes through. Yep, absolutely. Well, Rob, we've we've gone around the world. We've gone across the globe, and uh, I think we've covered enough of uh, the EPL, the A League, and had a bit of a look at the Collingwood, and no doubt a glint in your eye and the rest of the family with uh, some positive news coming from there. Thanks for being on Afternoon Sport again, my friend. No, absolutely, boys, and uh, and Vale to Paolo Rossi, the nineteen eighty two Golden Boot, uh, Golden Ball of the uh, of the World Cup superstar Italian player, passed away uh, this um, past week uh, at the uh, age of sixty four from lung cancer. Uh, a national hero in Italy's 
scored six times in that World Cup. So, uh, yeah, I, we could have devoted an entire show to, to Paolo Rossi, but um, certainly a player that I remember it was a defining player in that 82 World Cup, as, as I, and I, I know you, Timmy, first started really paying attention to the World Cup. Yeah, rest in peace, mate. What a legend. Yeah, God rest his soul. Thanks, Rob. Oh, thanks, boys. Speak soon, mate. Coming up next, Ewan Porter, professional golfer, commentates now in the US on majors. Will Tiger Woods ever win again? We're going to ask him that. And also whether Sam Groth will make it in the world of golf. This is Afternoon Sport and it is time to talk about a sport I absolutely love. I tell you what, if I played it for a living, um, I wouldn't need to diet because, you know, as long as I've played it, I've never been able to master it. But a man that definitely has is a former pro, with he's still classified as a professional. He's gone on to have a, a really strong media career and that is on the rise. I speak of Ewan Porter. How are you, my friend? Very well, thank you, Tim. And that's very much up for debate that I have mastered the game of golf. Well, I've seen you play. You've won tournaments and you've been a professional, so you have. How did you go at Royal Bexley today? I was chatting with you earlier. Your home track when you were a boy. Yeah, correct. Yeah, 26 years since I'd been out there. Had a game with a mutual friend of ours, Brenton Speed, and a a couple of others. It was a lot of fun. Uh, And you, you may or may not have noticed over the last couple of months, I've been on somewhat of a public golf crusade throughout Sydney and it's been uh, a real trip down memory lane, a lot of nostalgia attached to it and um, really just brought back the uh, the sheer essence of why I took up the game and uh, a lot of fun in doing so. How'd you go at Bexley? I hit them all right. I actually took the retro sticks out there. I had the, the old persimmon wood and uh, using a golf ball from the 1970s that came in wow. paper wrapping. And uh, yeah, look, I played all right. I didn't really keep score. I might have been one or two over par in the end. But um, speaking of the score, once you sort of you don't hang your um, everything on that score at the end of the day, and you and you more just sort of take it for what it is, the company and the golf course. Uh, it's actually quite astonishing how much more enjoyment that you get from the game. It's very different to, to tournament play, which you've done for a long, long time. What about? What about Sam Groth as a tennis player? Look, he, he was a very good tennis player and there's some speculation in the media the past couple of weeks that he may have this intention of uh, turning to the white ball, the little white ball. We've seen others try to do it in the past, uh, like Scotty Draper, Braithen Astor's dabbled in it, the, the late great, God rest his soul, Dean Jones. It's, it's an interesting transformation. It is. I've actually uh, been messaging with Sam uh, this week prior to playing and Todd Woodbridge was caddying for him uh, the first couple of days down there who we've both worked with on multiple occasions and you know they all they love their golf but look Sam's under no illusions of of how difficult uh, the transition to a professional golf career would be Uh, bear in mind the tournament he's playing is is an amateur tournament down there in in Melbourne and it, it does have a very strong field and I think he's more he's more doing it just to cure his um like he still has those competitive juices flowing from the tennis days and he retired a couple of years ago from tennis and I don't think he harbors any real aspirations to get out there and grind week in week out on tour like he did with his tennis career but uh, like like I said and like he mentioned it's more just 
it's um, curing those uh, those competitive instincts that come so naturally to him. And he's a very good golfer as well. I mean, he hits the ball really, really well. Um, but then again, so do a lot of athletes. There's just more to it than hitting the ball well. It's 72 holes. It's minimising mistakes. It's uh, it's gaining shots around the green and, and not making any mental errors. There's so much that goes with it. And when you're going up against seasoned campaigners who, who do it for a living and play week in, week out, it's, uh, it's not easy. Ten of the guys that actually play for a living, our Aussie pro golfers are actually doing pretty well before the COVID hit it on the head this year. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, they did, didn't they? I mean, January through early February was quite incredible. We had that stretch there in the space of a couple of weeks where Wade Ormsby won the Hong Kong Open, which was on the Asian Tour. Then the following week, we had Mark Leishman uh, win in San Diego and Lucas Herbert won on the European Tour in Dubai, won that fantastic playoff. And then uh, just a couple of weeks after that, Adam Scott won the uh, in Los Angeles. And don't forget too, the uh, very early on in the year, Cameron Smith uh, won in Hawaii. So in the space of a month, we had five different Australian winners overseas. And it was just, it was, it was quite phenomenal, the role that we were on. And unfortunately, COVID hit in March and sort of put, put an end to all of that. But look, I think Going forward, when the world does return to a bit of normality, uh, I think we're going to see more and more Australians succeed on the global stage. Look, I've had some fantastic opportunities as, as a journalist, as a broadcaster, to cover Olympic Games and US Golf Opens and things like that. You've actually sat in commentary boxes and commentated on majors with some of the legends of the game. What's that been like? Uh, it's been probably the biggest thrill of, uh, of my career. I mean, I was fortunate enough to play a few British Opens and obviously as a golfer, that's just about um, you know the ultimate, obviously Augusta Nationals uh, up there with it. But as a broadcaster, I mean, to be calling US Opens, PGA Championships, British Open Championships, uh, as good as it gets. I mean, I don't know how, how else I can put it because, you know, there's so much history attached to it. Um, it's the pinnacle of our game. And to be sitting alongside uh, people like Nick Faldo, Ian Baker-Finch, who have won major championships, uh, I sometimes have to pinch myself a boy from the Shire. And here I am calling, uh, calling major championships and uh, hopefully many more in the future as well. Yeah, and Tiger Woods, what a player. Do you ever think we'll see him win another major? <laughs> well, pre-2019 Masters, I was certainly one of the sceptics. I didn't think he'd uh, he'd win again, and he went and proved us wrong, not just there, but he also won the Zozo Championship in uh, Japan at the end of 2019 as well. I, I would never say that he won't win again because I think he has a golf game to be competitive still, but the question mark is is definitely out. I the only way he can win, I I feel uh, again, is on a very very demanding golf course where it's not going to be twenty twenty two under par that wins the event. I think he's going to win a tournament where uh, you know par is your friend, so to speak, because he plays a much more conservative and uh, and grinding golf game now, where you know fairways and greens and and two putts. There's nothing too flashy about it. What you're seeing with Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and Rory McIlroy now, that's how Tiger was 20 years ago. And courtesy of all the injuries that he's had and, and time away from the game, uh, he, he just he can't replicate what he had. I mean, um, Father Times caught up with him as well. And 
look, I mean, like I said, he, he could possibly win again, but if he gets major number 16, I'll, um, I'll be very, very shocked. I love the way that you're putting back into the game. You've got a great junior initiative. Tell us more about that. Yeah, the Adidas Junior Sixes uh, came to fruition last year, two-day event down at Cronulla. Uh, the idea really at the beginning of it was to honour my father who passed away a couple of years ago and uh, just wanted to do something to honour his legacy. Uh, but when we, I guess when the dust had settled from the event last year, I realised um, that there was an opportunity to create a national series. Uh, it's a different format. Uh, you have boys and girls competing against one another. And uh, I realised there was the opportunity to create a pathway really unlike anything else uh, in the world, really, especially the uh, the Australasian region. And I guess to, to put it in a nutshell, we've got our national final coming up on December 21 and 22 in Newcastle. It's the best juniors from around Australia competing. And uh, they're actually playing for a staggering nine professional tournament exemptions as well as mm. two Adidas sponsorships. And uh, it's I know the kids are just having an absolute blast and, uh, you know, I'm very, very, uh, very thankful for the team that I've got around me and the clubs that are involved. And I know going forward, uh, I don't want to break the news just yet, but we've got some very, very exciting initiatives um, going forward from 2021 and we do plan on expanding globally as well. All right, well, we'll stay close to afternoon sport because you're our golf expert. We want to get those initiatives and get them close to first. That'll help us propel ourselves collectively forward. Ewan, it's always a, a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Ewan. Good on you, Ewan. Thanks very much. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Anytime. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you today to Rob Gilbert and Ewan Porter. Thank you to our sponsors, O'Brien Beer and Spartan. And of course, of course, of course, Dan McHugh. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon for your daily dose of sports news. See you then, Shana. I'll see you then, mate. Well done.